I'm Fran, and this is Consent Based Everything, a podcast about creating a culture of consent in our homes and beyond. Hello and welcome. And this is uh, episode three of the podcast. And uh, today I'm super excited to be here with uh, my dear friend, uh, Shireen Corley. And I will let her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about who she is and what she does. Hi, um, I feel like it's probably best to introduce me like in reference to you, Fran, like we met because um, we were both homeschooling and had a similar and intersecting homeschool views and values and things that we were exploring. So, um, so that's how we met. And um, I guess part of the reason that I have those interests and um, that I'm also exploring those things is because I'm um, also the founder of my own program, The Nurtured Life, as well as the associate director um, at the Whole Health Center in Bar Harbor, where we study and share and learn a lot about like social and spiritual well-being. Um, and before moving to Maine, I had for 15 or 16 years my own program in Maryland, which was very, it started as a ch- uh, child-centered, nature-based preschool back when that was like totally weird and not a normal thing to do. And um, then because like that type of education requires the community and um, family support, the programs that I was running also ended up like supporting family and community and things like that in, you know, in an effort to do the work we were doing for the children. But then that kind of led to where I am now. So it's just like a, a kind of an organic thing. Mm. I, I love how you made the connection between like running essentially like a childcare program or uh, like an early years program and like it kind of becoming for all the whole community, the parents, mm. the adults and stuff, because I think that's kind of the dream, right? I mean... <laughs> To make that connection between the way that we educate and care for our children and the wider community. Right. It, it was like, I mean, it was a natural extension of like, if you're going to be focused on the kids and led by what they need, then like they needed community. So we were in the community and that meant us going into the community as well as like community coming to us. Um, and it meant supporting parents so that like they could continue that kind of um, like environment at home because most of us don't have um, a lot of experience or practice with that. Mm. So yeah, so it was this lovely. I miss it sometimes a lot. <laughs> it was a really like it was it was because of the way that our world is set up, it was hard on me. It was a lot of work for me. Um, but at the same time, it helped us establish, not just us like in the preschool, but us as the families that were part of the programs. Um, it helped us to anchor ourselves into a lifestyle and a rhythm that was more relevant. Um, and that's sometimes really hard to do in a world that like, isn't trying to be relevant isn't trying to be relevant to what you need physically what you know what is needed emotionally so it was helpful 
to have that as the structure and the framework for for that for not just my family but for for lots of families and um and it's definitely something that i it, it led to my current area of study because i realized like if we wanted to do that we needed to do more to support families and communities and it also like informs almost all of the work that i've like it was a big like um it's like a big research project because mm-hmm. it's where I learned like what was going on and why, how do we, how do we connect? How do we interact? How, how do we cultivate, um, you know, a culture of well-being, especially when that's not something that we're used to. So it was a majorly influential <laughs> part of my life. Yeah. And do you want to say this about what you're doing now? Cause you, you're pretty busy. And you're doing, I'll let you, I'll I'll, I'll let you get into it, but you're doing several things. Yeah. Um, Yes. So now um, I have my private uh, coaching program through The Nurtured Life, um, where I work with clients one-on-one. And that's where most of my writing, like I publish most of my writing, I publish it myself, but I share it from that platform. And then I'm the associate director at the whole health center, which is more of the, um, more of a, like, to me, it feels like a way of, it's kind of the same as like what we were doing before with the preschool, but now from the other direction, like for uh, how, how do we as a center learn to interact with the community? How do we as a center learn to interact as individuals. So there's a lot of work going on there. And and the founder has other programs that he runs and I run my programs. Like um, uh, I have a program regarding organic boundaries and forgiveness. So my group coaching programs are usually run through the center. And then I am a doctoral student at a um, seminary where I'm working on my um, doctor of ministry in social transformation. And um, I do not have a denomination or a tradition, so it's kind of a little bit of an extra lift there. Um, but it is the the purpose of that research is to to investigate like how um, the like hegemonic culture that we live under, white patriarchal um, hegemonic culture, has influenced religion spirituality and then therefore our human development so it goes all the way back to that preschool work like how could the kids how how is how we, how is how we even perceive our relationships with children and what what our expectations are of people from birth how is that affected by the last several thousand years of basically pe- people on people trauma yeah and then and how does that influence our our idea of what it is to be human um, and what can we do to kind of get underneath of that and see like, is that true? Is that what it really means to be human or, or as I suspect, and as do several other researchers who are (laughs) in that line of work suspect that we would not be as selfish or, um, defensive or like all of these things that in spirituality, we think we need to overcome that, like even the ego itself, like our understanding of ego is based on all of these perceptions. And what would happen if those, what would happen if we were 
not experiencing separation and trauma, um, like culturally, not just as individuals, but how does how does our culture influence our perspective on child rearing and parenting? And, and what would it look like if it was different? Mm. And what can we do? Because it's really hard to, it's not just hard to change our perceptions, but as I think most parents realize when they want to change the way that they're engaging with their children, like you can know in your head that you want to change something, but it's a lot of work to change that embodied experience of, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, of fear or um, just the things that we're concerned about or the things that we think are true about parent-child relationships. Yeah. Um, and because we were talking uh, on Instagram a little bit about the gentle parenting. Mm -hmm. And right. um and I think what you were referring to in our conversation was was the inner work, right? What what mm -hmm. I suppose gentle parents would call inner work, mm -hmm. uh, which is really what you're saying. Um, yeah. So you said something. Is it okay if I like quote a little bit of what you commented yeah. for me? Yeah, yeah. I wrote it down here because I thought it was spot on because you, you, you know I was saying about like oh gentle parenting like I, I don't know what I was talking about but something about gentle parenting didn't quite work the way it was mm -hmm. supposed to work for me mm -hmm. um, and uh, and you said in reference to gentle parenting it's just white culture trying to articulate what's wrong with itself mm -hmm. and I thought that was so spot on because well, I'll let you elaborate on that. Yeah, and I think there's like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's great. It's an important part of healing and it's an important part of um, like, we need to articulate what we're feeling or what we're experiencing or what changes we need to make. I think that where the, the conversation that you were having on Instagram and that where the conversation needs to go is that like, we can't get stuck there. Like that this is the solution that's not the solution. That's the articulation of the problem. The articulation of the problem is that there's something wrong with the way that we're parenting, like in dominant culture. Um, and I think in that conversation you and I were having, it's like, we could call it, we could do it the other way. Like, it's just a clarifier. Gentle parenting is a clarifier of the, to help us remember how we want to parent. And we have like all these different ways that we describe that, but really it's just parenting. And I think in our conversation, I said, like, we don't put the qualifier on dominant culture parenting. Like, that's where the qualifier needs to be. That's the that's the parenting that we're trying to identify is the problem. Right. So you're um, we but, should just call, Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. We should just call um, parenting dominant culture parenting, because actually that's not like norm it's not shouldn't be the norm or shouldn't be the default it's something we've kind yeah, of I, I guess like I mean I, we're at the stage in our like cultural transition where we need all these qualifiers um and I guess we just need to remember that they're qualifiers like they're not uh necessarily well, first of all, like, it's not a new philosophy to, to like parent mm -hmm. gently. And the majority of the concepts that come out of like attachment parenting, gentle parenting, bed sharing are essentially indigenous practices 
practices that have been around for the majority of humanity and that have only changed because of like the dominant culture conditioning has told us to change. Yeah, so th they came first. So like, that's what you were saying. Those are called parenting. Right. And so like then when we when we're saying like, we're trying to clarify that we're in those cases, people are trying to clarify that they're going to parent differently than dominant culture. Mm -hmm. And so, however, in that transition, I think we need to remember that like, we're using those terms to clarify how we're different than dominant culture and not get too caught up in it being like an entire philosophy or an entire way of being. It's, it's supposed to be an entry point to doing that deeper work um, and, and, to eventually getting to the point where we can just call that parenting because that's what it is. It's just parenting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think, I think that's where people and maybe I, I did as, uh, as well, got a little bogged down in the kind of like the way it needs to look hmm. uh, because, you know, right. I, when my children, the up, I read the gentle parenting books and the attachment parenting books. And I was like, Oh, okay. These are the things. Um, and these are the things I need to do to be a gentle parent. Um, whereas it's not really, it shouldn't really be about like, oh, this is the kind of parenting I'm doing and it's called gentle. It's more of like oh, finding our way back to parenting like humans. Well, and, and I was thinking about on like on my drive here to meet with you I was thinking about how like I really love how one of the things I really love about you and the way that you explore things is you're like this that was the appropriate pattern is to be like oh look here are these qualifiers that help me identify what was wrong that help me identify the direction I want to go but you could let those qualifiers go as you developed skill and individual practice like you now engage you might use labels. Those labels help us identify what we're trying to do. But if we get too caught up in them, then we get stuck there and we can't really develop much deeper or much further because we're trying to stay within this framework. If we're trying to stay within a specific framework, which obviously is not going to work for every individual, we're right back where we started. And I, that's why I think that it it's helpful when we remember that these qualifiers are supposed to be taking us somewhere. Um, because otherwise we end up oftentimes repeating the same patterns with different behaviors. Yeah. Or like swapping I mean, around for something different, like yes. oh, no, gentle pairing is, parenting isn't working. I'm going to try aware parenting or whatever. Right. So, right. I mean, you're just doing the same thing, essentially, like jumping around from one thing yeah. to the other, the one kind of structured thing to another. And with every, like, with all of the changes that we need to make, whether it's like, we, obviously you and I've had this conversation where we can't change, we can only change our household so much and they're influenced by the outside. And then we can only, our communities, and there's so much work that needs to be done to develop a culture of well-being because it's just like our culture is directing us away from that. And that that dominant culture is becoming is growing. It's not, it, it's becoming more um, widespread. It's not becoming less widespread. So, you know, in order to address all of those things, I mean, that's, that's sort of what led me when I was like, I have to, 
close the childcare and stop working. I wanted to just work with the kids. Like we could just work with these kids. We could grow up with these kids. It takes 20 years to raise a kid. And then these kids are going to go out and they're going to be in good shape. And they're gonna, like, that seems like a big enough contribution to the world. I was happy with that. And I realized that we're going to send out all these kids. And now what? Because um, there's all these other problems. There's climate change and you know, social conflict and political conflict and economic conflict. And that's a lot and a lot of things to be working on. And that's sort of what led to higher ed and getting not just more education for myself, but really, honestly, partially it is the letters after my name because that's what in our current systems does help change things. Um, you know, we, we are at least currently still using peer reviewed research most of the time in most systems. Um, so if we wanna change things, that's a place that we can have influence. Um, and the reason that I was doing that was recognizing that like, we can't, all of those problems are the same problem. So there has to be a way for us to be working on all of those problems at the same time. And that's something that we can be doing as individuals that can be influencing all of those problems. Um, and then that brings us back to this, like the conversation about consent and that, and the conversation about gentle parenting or whatever kind of parenting you want to call it is that it's all about cultivating presence in the moment so that you don't have to have this hierarchy of lists of behaviors. And if this happens, then I do this, or, you know, it, it's not going to work that way because that's not life. And so if we're going to practice, if we're going to be like, we need to develop the skill that we can be in the moment and make quick decisions that are like, oh, look, this child needs something different than this child. Um, and be able to make those assessments and trust ourselves in those assessments. All of that comes out of developing presence with ourselves so that we can develop deeper connections with ourselves and our environment and the people that are in it, whether that be our children or our family members. So then if you think about that, that's like all of these problems. <laughs> and that is because dominant culture that's how dominant culture gets influence. It it affects our ability to be present and it affects our ability to be present with ourselves by severing our relationship with ourselves through a lot of, you know, honestly, through a lot of typical parenting behaviors um, that we pass down in lovingly thinking that they are what our children need to survive out there. But in in reality, they are, helping to erode the connection that our our children have with their deeper self and their connection with us and their connection with the earth. If we just stop focusing on all this other stuff and just focus on that, it solves so, it, you know, it, it gives us the capacity to, to solve so many of our problems. Mm. Um, and it just- It's so hard though. Better. I mean, it's so hard. Like, presence yeah. is so hard right as a mm -hmm. practice and just even as a thing to do even occasionally <laughs> you know that, like, like, that's the reason that it's hard I mean the reason that it's hard is because we've been so conditioned away from being present 
And it's like, it is hard and it's a hard practice and it's hard to cultivate, but is it harder than learning all these new ways of parenting and all these new ways of eating and all of these new ways of shopping and all of these new ways of engaging with our friends and all of these new ways of establishing boundaries and all of these new, like, that's not harder than that. Yeah, I think I think you I, I see your point. I think there's something in in humans that um, where presence is is well, we have to sit with ourselves and mm-hmm. all the sides of ourselves that we don't want to sit with and we don't want to feel and we don't want to enjoy and like and love and all of that. Whereas learning, I don't know how new ways to shop online is easier to feel successful right right you can just do it Mm -hmm. and you don't have to invest emotionally in it and you know you can check off your check boxes but the majority of us that are wanting to do this work like all of that kind of work also are wanting to not have check boxes (laughs) um so like it's definitely it's definitely, I agree. It's like, it's scary to think like, oh, wait, if I do this work, then, right? Like, it's scary to think about what we might find. It's scary to think about not being successful. Um, and yet by like, by doing even a little bit of presence work, we have like, there, there's just no way to be deeply connected so that we can have a culture of consent and so that we can have a culture that respects boundaries if we can't sit with ourselves. <laughs> um, so it is like, it's the kind of like that, that heart work, that, that courage work that we need to engage with um it's kind of found it's it's deeply foundational to all of these other things that we're wanting to do okay so like if we do this work of like being present with ourselves with others with just our community in general and the world um then then it will have repercussions like positive repercussions in other things like setting boundaries or even like being aware of boundaries and kind of being aware of like what consent looks like and what it doesn't look like. And and I think, and I want to go back to boundaries because I've learned so much about boundaries from you. And actually what you, the way you talk about boundaries is kind of radically different actually to the way that a lot of people uh, talk about boundaries. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, because for example, I read um, Melissa Urban wrote a book, The Book of Boundaries. Her book mm-hmm. is, is great. I enjoyed it. It makes complete sense to me. It's like, this is a boundary. This is mm-hmm. how you set it. You know, there's like a preliminary way of setting it. There's like a strong, more strongly worded way of setting it. And then there's kind of a way that like, there's something you can do to then sort of enforce the boundary, right? But it's a very, and, and I and I kind of, I'm, I'm into that. I kind of love it. But I also recognize that it's like very, it's very individualistic as a viewpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's all about 
me and my kind of energy and my um what I can take and what I can't take and I'm not saying we shouldn't care about ourselves of course we should but it's all very much like me versus versus you you know I have to be setting boundaries all over just sounds exhausting to me I mean (laughs) uh, I I don't want to do it and it's not because I don't believe that boundaries are deserving of respect it's because like that that like list of like first you do this and then if it doesn't work you do that that's like a lot to that takes a lot of energy and it's a lot to be engaging with as you're navigating your entire life like there are boundaries absolutely every single step that we take throughout our day do you want to do that for all of them and also like what about the ones you're crossing and that doesn't really that kind of um perspective doesn't talk a lot about the fact that most of us are also crossing the boundaries of others whether that be in our individual lives or as a society or related to the earth so we're not really it's like it's it's not a conversation and i think that it's it's valuable again as part of that like evolution of understanding what boundaries are however when we're going to do, if we're going to like invest ourselves in doing work and making changes, right? Like we're going to make some kind of change about the way that we engage. I think it's really important to think about what our objective is. Um, you know, with that kind of system for setting boundaries, it is not connective that's not to say like certainly it is it is it is helpful for people to understand what your boundaries are i'm not saying we shouldn't like articulate them for others however it should be like boundaries aren't stagnant so if you have this conversation with someone about like this is where my boundary is well what about when something changes in two days and you have to have that whole conversation all over again um versus if we're like cultivating an awareness of boundaries and a respect for them based on needs then we're developing that sense of presence with our own like sensual response right you have a response in your body when someone crosses your boundaries when someone does something to you that disregards your needs or disrespects you your body knows that it feels yucky So if we start like being more aware of those feelings and like engaging with that and saying like, oh, now that I'm feeling this feeling, what do I need in this moment? And being able to share those needs and being more like having a conversation around, oh, well, what do you need that you're trying to come, right? That you're trying to take something from me. Where is that? Where can we find the tension where we both are having our needs met equitably? And um, in my um, organic boundaries course, while we were like discussing this, one day someone brought this beautiful example. They actually were bringing the example of like, what do I do with this? And I was like, no, no, that's the that's what you're supposed to be doing. Where they were like, well, you know, uh, well, what do we do? Like, how do I meet two people's needs? Like, what if I need to sleep with silence and my partner needs to sleep with the tv on 
Well, that needs to be adjusted on an ongoing basis. Like if your partner has an important meeting the next day, maybe he sleeps with the TV on. And maybe if you can't sleep, you go downstairs, if that's the arrangement that you guys have made, right? But maybe you've been sick and you really need your sleep. Now, you're, even if your partner still has a meeting the next day, that is a shift of needs and a shift of what is necessary in the moment. And those things all need to be adjusted. So if we have really rigid rules about like, I will not sleep in the room with you if you leave the TV on, then we miss this opportunity to really deeply connect with each other and practice having boundaries that are, that are like shifty and that organic and move with us, mm-hmm. which is so much more functional because nothing in our life is stagnant. And these boundaries that we set up, then we're kind of, we are, we're limiting ourselves because then we're not just limiting who can interact with us. We are kind of staying within those boundaries also, which is, uh, I think is exhausting, which is sort of why I ended up doing this work. Cause I was like this, you know, I certainly as a very feeling, loving, generous person was getting a lot of pushback. Certainly there were therapists that were like, <laughs> you need to work on your boundaries and it's, they're not wrong. Like there, there was definitely work that I needed to do, but that kind of work that was like, don't let people take from you. Don't, don't give more than you. Well, I like giving. So I don't want to have a rigid rule that says that like, this is what I'm going to do every time. I want to be able to say, look, I have more energy today. I have more energy today and I'm, or I have more resources. I have more money. I have more I have more juice, I have more whatever, and I'm happy to give it to you versus when I don't have that. That's when you're crossing my boundary, when I don't have it and you're still trying to take it. Um, so that that kind of is what led to that work was that like conflict of how can we be generous with each other and, how, and, and respect each other's boundaries. And there has to be a way to do that because the rest of nature is honestly pretty good at it. <laughs> Mm. right like it's 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 us that it's this kind of arbitrary setting of like it's it's not wrong to set them you are feeling like you're like that you're you are experiencing that when you when you know you have a need that's not being met it's just I think um we can develop greater skill than just saying this is the boundary Um, yeah because just saying this is the boundary is also a it's a one-way thing and it's a bit like um putting up a fence in a way so it it totally um takes away any potential for connection like you said right um and so instead of deepening the relationship instead of maybe coming to a mutual agreement it's very much like this is how I want it and and then there's no um, there's no kind of middle way either. Like in a lot of these, um, you know, step by step, like how to set a boundary kind of thing. You know, you get to a point where you're like, well, what if the person keeps not respecting my boundary? And then what the book will exactly. say is, you can cut them out of your life. Right. And sometimes that will be necessary. And I totally empower people to do that, obviously. And right. You know, if you and need also to do sometimes that, but it's sometimes not possible. Exactly. Not only is it not necessary, sometimes is it not necessary on one end of the spectrum, but sometimes it's genuinely not possible. 
And so then what do we do? How do we address that? And for me, one of the, the big questions about like that kind of setting of boundaries was if we're using our, if we, if we consider ourselves as interdependent and we're, we consider our households as interdependent and we're considering ourselves a part of the whole, how does practicing boundaries in that way help solve any of the social conflicts that we have? Because it doesn't, it doesn't help us develop any skill to develop larger conflicts. It really is very limiting in the sense that it tells us that the only solution that we have to not being able to solve a problem is to make the problem disappear. It's just not necessarily possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, part of the work that I do is like, to me, it's, it's a little, um, like, I wouldn't expect everybody. Like I, I'm very well trained in all of these things, these presence and practice. And like, so I don't expect everybody to be going to the edge of like, you know, in their relationships to engage with boundaries. And like, it's, it's, we should all be doing what we can do. And if, right now a practice of being like this is my boundary is that's the energy that you have then I think that that's completely appropriate the question or like what I want to be engaging like from a larger conversation is can you rest there for a little while and 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 like maybe like use that kind of boundary setting as a way to like take a deep breath get your footing and get some of the resources you need. And then can you engage with this more nuanced Then, then can you take that on Mm. or can you take on this nuanced form of boundaries with your children and in your household while engaging in maybe a more rigid boundary setting in some other aspect of your life. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing, but to remember that, Like if the objective, if your life objective is to have more connection and to be more like, is to have more more intimacy with all of life, then this particular method is going to get you kind of stuck. And um, certainly when it comes to consent and conversations around consent or boundaries that are like on a larger scale, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, like, and like, like I like to take that boundary conversation like into our like systems of production, mm-hmm. right? Like into the way that we treat the earth. Like they are all, the way that we do all of those things without thinking about them is because of how we've cultivated our individual boundaries. So if we start practicing being able to engage more, um, with like where we are crossing boundaries as well as where our boundaries are being crossed, then we have an opportunity to like, that is an opportunity to change like something on a larger, on a larger scale. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the consumerism or um, the way we like the way the employer employee relationship, right? Like all of those things can be influenced by that. Um, 
so extent, even like the adult child relationship like as an adult it's our responsibility because we're in the position of power much of the time it's our responsibility to also figure out when we're crossing our child's mm-hmm. boundary because they might not necessarily even know or be able to tell us right and that's like a really um I think that that place is where we sometimes run into that dominant cultural conditioning um like even if we're in our heads wanting our children to have more freedom to express themselves or um but then we have this when it comes to you know the as parents we're going to have a lot of concerns about how our children engage with the outside world how our children are perceived by the outside world what it means to them right like what what if you go to the playground and you know you say a certain thing or do a certain thing we might feel like it's completely acceptable for our children to be expressive but we still know as adults that in that situation our children may be judged um and that kind of conditioning is very subtle and gets into our like systems as we're interacting with our kids and it can be really pervasive um in the way that we talk to them and in our non-verbal communication with them you know if they come downstairs like wearing something that we don't want them to wear and we're like sure you can wear that because I've decided that you should write like in our heads we're cognitively like yeah you can wear whatever you want because people should be able to wear whatever you whatever they want but in our bodies we don't believe that um then you know that's where this whole like work of presence comes in and being able to like address like identify that like we do have fear around our kids wearing whatever it is that they're wearing out to the playground um or wherever you know it's just an easy example (laughs) um of one way like it's certainly something that um dominant culture has a lot to say about so it's it's easy to realize that like that that can come up for us and then you know there are times when we need like there are times when we need to let our kids know that their choices aren't safe and that we just can't let them do some of the things that are happening or that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And in those instances, if we've developed presence and we're working with boundaries like this with our kids so that our kids, like then your kid, then our kids trust us. And are much more like if, if they cannot like it and we cannot like it and we can have a whole conversation about that but also sometimes we don't have to have a conversation because because we just know because we're working together as a team mm. you know mm. um so like it just is it's 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 a lot is that's where like it comes back to the, the beginning of the conversation was like it's a lot of work to work with presence but it's just so much less work it's oh, so much less work in the end ultimately in, I mean <laughs> I don't even know about like I don't even know in the end like part of like what 
part of the practice of presence is kind of like doing all of this like articulation stuff so that like, oh, why am I feeling this? And that's why I'm feeling this. And oh, this is what judgment is. So this is, this is how it feels to be compassionate. Like that kind of, like when we're doing formal work, we're doing that work formally and we're articulating a lot, kind of like what you were, like when we were talking about articulating what parenting is and we get all those, that stuff out that way, when we're in a moment with our kid, we can like, our bodies already know, our minds already know. Um, Since we moved into the house we're in, I have found it extremely triggering to clean the house. I've always enjoyed cleaning my house, but lately in the new house, for some reason, I can come, I can tell you all the reasons because I spent a long time figuring it out. <laughs> it's been, it's been very triggering and I felt really upset every time I'm cleaning the house. And so I can't be present because I'm having a whole bunch of conversations in my head about like what I'm upset about. And, but that's great. It's great that I'm asking myself, like, why am I upset about this? What is going on? Right. That's part of the stage in practice. And then yesterday I cleaned the house. You know what? I did not get upset because every time I was about to get upset, I could tell myself, you know what? You already know this. You have already had this entire conversation. You are clear. You clearly understand what is triggering you about cleaning the house. And then I got to be present with cleaning the house Mm. because I didn't have to keep having that conversation because I'd finished it. But if I refused to, to engage with myself and all of those feelings and what was happening, then I would continue to be frustrated every time I cleaned the house. And I would not be able to be present with my house or cleaning it. And you know what? Cleaning the house might not have like long-term ramifications, but when I'm done cleaning the house and I feel really crappy and I'm really grouchy and then I'm engaging with my kids, it does have a long-term implications. And if I'm not doing that same kind of practice in other areas of my life, then that's just all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, like those like formal practices of like journaling or seeing a therapist or going to yoga or breathing or meditation or like all of like, you know, reading parenting books. Like those are all the like kind of formal practices that help us articulate like what is going on. And I think that when we figure out what's going on in any situation, like our bodies really relax mm-hmm. and then we can be so much more present. And then the little people that are like learning what it's like to be in the world and developing their nervous systems can be around our nervous systems that are settled and not like, I mean, when you're around someone that's present or you're around someone that's not present, you can tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, I, Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting this because I, I, it took me a while to make the connection between like, you know, I can feel something, but I can say something else to my child to like, not pretend, but like, sort of, um, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but say that my child is having a, a difficult moment. And my nervous system can get super activated about it. But I can kind of, in my brain, I can be like, oh, wait a minute, this is the response you're supposed to be having now. So say the words in a calm way. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to do. But actually inside, you're not feeling any of that. Mm -hmm. So I think, 
part of what you're saying is like that you want the two things to be meeting and to be kind of eventually you know yeah so like you actually it's a beautiful example so what you're describing is patience which is one of the elements of presence so by definition when we're practicing patience we're uncomfortable because if we weren't uncomfortable we wouldn't be practicing patience so in those moments when we're like all worked up and then we say something in a calm way because it's what we decided we were going to do we're practicing patience mm -hmm. with ourselves and with our child and like basically like all, there's multiple elements of presence and when we lean on them then we can like we can like lean on in that moment you're leaning on patience right we can't lean too heavily on patience because if we lean too heavily on patience, then like it goes the other direction. Right. So we're going to lean on, on patience in this moment. And then just like riding a bicycle, now we're going to lean on compassion. Now you're feeling compassion for yourself and your child. And then we're going to lean on non-judgment and you're not going to feel judgmental about the fact that you're having this experience. Right. So like by moving through all of those, we are developing the skill to eventually walk through that moment without having to think about it. <laughs> okay. So um, what would you say are like the elements of, I mean, you said mm -hmm. three of them, but other yeah, I'm really might not, you know, my brain, so I might not remember all of them, but um, so like compassion, gra uh, gratitude, generosity, um, non-judgment, or I like to call like, um, like judging well. So we're judging all the time. So non-judgment gets a little confusing. Um, the same with like non-attachment, right? So like, it's not completely non-attachment. It's just like proper attachment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't remember which ones I've already listed, but um, but you get the, the gist that like how these all together are like, we want to work. We're going to work on them each individually. Like a lot of people working on gratitude. That's a common one that, folks work on but if we're only working on gratitude and we're not using these other elements then we kind of get out of whack so by like relying on them all together that's how we're developing presence and if we think about like and, and we can we're all present sometimes there's all situations in our life that like we're naturally in a state of presence mm -hmm. and like spending some time thinking about those what what's happening in those moments and how can I connect with that um so it is definitely like it's a life practice it's not a you know and I had a really rough year and I used all of these practices to stay balanced and stay in a place where I could um continue to show up in a way that I wanted to show up mm -hmm. um to try and use language that's really honoring where we all are and trying <laughs> I'm like I did keep showing up and I, I wanted to and I got to show up like you know and that's a like it, it's a practice of developing more skill all the time and we can all be working on that along like I think if we keep that in mind while we're while we're doing some of these other practice like the more formal practices like they're all necessary and important. And I think it's just our perspective of like keeping in mind that, oh, I'm working on this new way of engaging with boundaries because 
the old way of engaging with boundaries wasn't serving me. And how do I want the new way to serve me? What is my objective and and why am I doing this? Like answering some of those questions for ourselves, then when we get knocked off balance, it's so much easier to correct, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I suppose this is what like people call the inner work of parenting right I you hear this referred to all the time but very rarely do people actually break it down and say this is actually what it is like this is how you how to do it um this is why you're doing it um Mm -hmm. and also make that connection between like your your body feeling certain things and Mm -hmm. like tapping into that and then also you expressing those things verbally or like kind of um rationalizing them in your brain right which are two can be opposite things sometimes right you can be feeling one thing and saying another or whatever yeah that reminds me of the two the two I was forgetting are two of my favorites which is beginner's mind and curiosity right like if we're coming into all the moments with beginner's mind and curiosity that um like oh like then we're always kind of wondering like what's going on and and not in a way like we have to fix it right away. Just mm-hmm. being genuinely, genuinely interested in like, what, what is this? Why are we here? Why are we doing it? Um, and, you know, if, if we're engaging, like, especially if we're engaging with um, like our, our children and our like people that we've decided are our people that we're connected to deeply are um, so valuable in helping us like deepen these practices because we're willing to do a lot of deep work for them to maintain those relationships. Um, and we've so, spoken a bit about like non-judgment, which I find mm-hmm. so interesting and I find so relevant, especially with like unschooling and and parenting and consent-based education because uh, and it links up to the curiosity side of things as well to me like when we are working on um when we are committing to like parenting or educating in a consent-based way like part of that for me at least has been has been non-judgment right so Mm -hmm. coming to whatever my child brings to me or says um or whatever idea they have uh in from a mindset of just like being curious about it as opposed to like rushing to like either judge or label or whatever right which I find kind of is not a good way to like foster like culture of consent because Mm -hmm. then your child feels attacked and (laughs) so um I don't know. Do you want to say a little bit about non non judgment? I'm aware that we're like chatting endlessly now, but yeah, <laughs> and we could talk about all of, we could talk about all of these things forever because exactly. we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, I think that you already illustrated like why, like with these practices, why you can't just focus on one. Like if you're just focusing on non judgment, then you're gonna be permissive. And we are all judging all of the time. Like that is is a necessary part of engaging with the world. Our objective is to judge well, to discern what right action is, 
for ourselves, for our children, for, you know, whatever steps we're taking. Um, and judging, making, um, like by using curiosity and beginner's mind, then we can judge, we're more likely to maintain a perspective that allows us to judge well. We're more likely to invite in compassion, right? We're, we're more likely to invite more of these elements to the table while we're making our judgments, while we're making discernments and to, to make decisions that are based on a wholer perspective. Mm -hmm. Then if we're just practicing non-judgment, then it can feel really nice to be like, no, that's okay with me. But how can you be practicing? No, that's okay with me at the same time that you're practicing boundaries, right? Like all of these pieces need to, they need to lean on each other and create like a tension in that tension is the grace of presence because it's also, balance. You know, you can't balance without holding any tension. Right. And also, how can you be non-judging, but like also have a moral compass and like also yeah. not lie to your child, right. like, like be honest about what your beliefs are or what your values are or what you think about right. something, right? So, so there's a way to, there's a way to, to say like, this is how I, this is what I discern in this moment without placing value on the judgment or like, and that's really that, that practice of non-judgment is about not placing, um, you know, positive or negative value. And at the same time, like you're saying, how can you have a moral compass if you're not going to place any like value on the judgment? Um, so like, when we talk about like good and bad or, you know, instead of it being good and bad, it's like, you know, it's definitely a nuanced experience right back to the boundaries, which is again, why like, if we just work on the presence piece, then we don't have to keep coming up with all these rules. Right. <laughs> so like, like, it's just too many rules to be like, this is good and this is bad, but they're not, nothing is good and bad. It's all going to change based on the situation. And it all needs to be relevant to the situation and the people and the time and the date and the season. Like, it's just so much easier to develop the ability to, to hold all of that. And in each moment, navigate based on what's best in the moment through learning how to listen to our bodies as they're picking up on data from our kids or our boss or the trees outside. And like that's, it sounds like a lot of work, but is it more work than deciding what's good or bad? Like for every situation on earth, I expect like this, 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 we've talked a lot about dyslexia because of our kids <laughs> and I'm dyslexic and Leanne and I have to learn to, mem we have to memorize absolutely every word. Some people learn to read. That's kind of like presence. You are just reading the words. If you find a word you don't know, you can just read it. Leanne and I cannot read it. We have had to memorize every, we have to memorize every single word we know how to read. It's a lot of work. Eventually we memorize it so well that we can do it quickly. <clears throat> So it's almost like presence, <laughs> but it's still a lot more work. And, you know, if we're going through the world, making all of, we are making all of these judgments all of the time about like, 
how we're going to react to to this person wanting to have this from us and how whether we're going to say yes or no to that and whether this is good or bad then that's just it's going to be really hard to maintain a balanced nervous system that's in any form of like parasympathetic rest or play mm. because that's entirely too that's all of those things are going to activate our sympathetic response we're going to always be it's going to be like me cleaning my house <laughs> like we're going to be doing that all the time and having all these conversations and that's just a, it 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 genuinely is more work than learning to be with ourselves in the moment mm -hmm. okay so i'm i mean i've we've spoken at length about all sorts of things but actually this conversation has been amazing because because it, you've linked all the different elements uh of you know being in relationship mm. and just out in the world to presence which mm -hmm. is like kind of mind-blowing um I feel like I have to put presence on my wheel of consent now I'm feeling very like aware that like it's missing from the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> but like I'm more I yeah. Anyway, it's I'm just I'm gonna take two days to work with this. Yeah, I've been working on being able to articulate it better. So I'm like I feel like this is what I've been trying to say mm -hmm. for a long time. So I'm glad that I was able to um to articulate it clearly for you today <laughs> yes you absolutely were and and I think it's hard it's hard to make all those connections in one conversation right um yeah. so yeah but that that has been really interesting and I had a bunch of other things to talk about but mm -hmm. I will stop us now okay. um <laughs> We'll talk again. <laughs> we'll get to talk about them another time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank you for for chatting to me today. It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. This is Fran. You can find me on Instagram at Big Mothering. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please share it and tag me um, or rate it on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will see you next time. Bye.